0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at the first verse. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him
1: be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Great. Well, good evening. My name is Peter Bramwell. I'm the student worker here. um, And I'm going to be uh, taking us through that passage in a a moment. Uh, You will be helped by keeping the Bible open in front of you. And also you might find it helpful to dig out uh, the outline, uh, which is in the papers, which you were given when you uh, came in. Well, as we come to look at 1 Peter 4, shall I pray for us? Father God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us so that we might know you. And we pray this evening that you would help us to know you more. And that we might live for you in the rest of our time on this earth. Bringing glory to you and to your son. And drawing others into that glory as well. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the newspapers on the 5th of August 1914 ran with the headline, War Declared. Uh, the report in the newspapers uh, uh, reported the, the Prime Minister's statement to the Commons the night before. Uh, it was a fairly short statement which ended with these words. His Majesty's government declared to the German government that a state of war exists between Great Britain and Germany as of 11pm on August the 4th 1914. It strikes me that they're very ordinary words, aren't they? And yet they were words which made a huge declaration. uh, Words which would see in the matter of that war, 9 million people killed. 27 million people wounded. Declared matter-of-factly with sobriety. If you get a sense of uh, the King George V understood the enormity of that. Though, When you read his diary, uh, he wrote in his diary for that night, I held a council at 1045 to declare war with Germany. It's a terrible catastrophe, but it's not our fault. Please, God, may it soon be over. And may you protect dear Bertie's life, his son who was serving with the Royal Navy. Uh, now, I tell you that partly because it's remembering Sunday, But also because one Peter introduces us to a war which Christians are to engage in. You first see it introduced in chapter 2 and verse 11. You might want to flip back a page and see it. Peter says there, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. There is a war going on against our souls, says Peter. Peter. And so in tonight's passage, flicking back to uh, chapter 4, you see the words beginning with, therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves. You see, we're being encouraged to arm ourselves as we live this life. Uh, Arming is a a word which is often used in military contexts. Talking about military preparation, arm yourselves. And Anya and uh, Nancy and Laura, as you uh, go on in life, You will fight that battle. That's what we've prayed for you. Did you hear the words when we prayed? We said we pray that you will fight bravely under his banner. That you will continue Christ's faithful soldier. And tonight it's not just Anya, Laura and Nancy to heed that call. It is for all Christians to heed the call. All Christians who have been baptized into Christ are to fight that battle. Well, let me be clear here at this point. We hear a lot in the news, don't we, about religious extremism and people being radicalized to kill other people. That is not the war which we are to engage in. Rather, the call to war is with ourselves. In 2.11, did you see it It was with our sinful desires, our sinful desires, which war against our souls? That means that we are to fight with the sinful desires that we have. And that's what this passage teaches us that we should be doing. It teaches us that by encouraging us to have a right view of time and where we live. And to abstain from sin. But then to give ourselves to the good lives of prayer and love. But first, let's just see that we are to engage in this war. And so we need to live a life which is focused on heaven. It's point one on your handout. I think this is one of the keys to understanding the passage. That we are to view that Peter sees here two realms of life. He sees the realm of the flesh or this present earthly life. And then there's the realm of the spirit or the future heavenly life. And Peter begins by speaking of that earthly life now. The ESV makes it a bit clearer, I think, the NIV. And I've reproduced that there on your handout. You'll see how the ESV translates it it consistently translates the Greek word sarx for flesh. And so you see, Christ suffered in the flesh. That's what happened when he lived on earth, as he lived his earthly life. He suffered in his earthly life. We read about that last week in chapter 3 and verse 18, where it said he was put to death in the body, or literally in the flesh. And then it goes on to say that we live in this realm of the flesh, you see, Peter says that we will suffer in the flesh or suffer in this earthly life. We will see why that is in a moment. But for now, notice that he is speaking of our earthly life now. We will suffer in the flesh now. And verse 2 makes it clear we are to live the rest of the time in the flesh. That is, we are to live the rest of the time on this earthly life in a particular way, which we'll see in a moment. You see, Peter has on view here our life now. How we're going to live our earthly life out. And we live it out by having a perspective of the future. You see, we're to look forward to the time of the spirit. Again, we saw it in chapter 3 verse 18 last week. Christ was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. That is future for us also. We look forward to the time when we will be made alive in the spirit. Alive in that spiritual realm of the resurrection in Christ. And so you see that in verse 6. We will live according to God with regard to the spirit. That is in the spiritual realm. You see the same idea in verse 7 where he says, The end of all things is drawing near. The end of all this earthly life is drawing near. So we live for the future. Now, it's not new thought for Peter. Do you remember what he said back in chapter 1 in verse 13? After he had outlined the great salvation we've been brought into, he said, therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so tonight, we need to get our thinking straight and see that we are to live now for the age which is to come. And as we change our perspective on time, that will change how we live. And so the second point on the handout, if you want to turn over. That was quite good, going one, one side down. We'll live your earthly life now by focusing on heaven, abstaining from sinful desires. Look again at verse two. You see what he says? As a result... He, that is the Christian, does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires. See, having a clear focus on life now and focusing on the future means that we will stop living for human desires. He shows what they are in verse 3 when he says, For you've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. By pagans he means the unbelieving world around us, the the unchristian world, people who don't believe in Christ. We have lived like an unbeliever long enough, he says. And I guess if Peter, if you were to say to Peter, but I don't feel like I have spent enough time like that, Peter says, oh yes, you have. Because any time living like that was too long. Those sinful desires war against your soul. You've lived enough like that. What characterized the unbelieving world around us? Well, he shows it there in verse 3. Did you see? For you've lived, spent enough time in the past, doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing. Now you could summarize those attitudes in three ways. You could say it's a desire for sex, for excessive drink, and for excessive food. Now to different extents, that is what people around us seek. And do you not feel those desires yourself sometimes? You see it very clearly in the student life, don't you? A life where sex, drugs and drinking are a big focus. And we too can feel like that. Now the student life which is filled with going out, nights of going out. So you get the drinks and pre-drinks so that you can have a good time. And the best times out are when you end up with a girl in your bed at the end of the night. And while that might not be an everyday occurrence in Fulwood, surely we see those desires, do we not? Our friends who long for the night off so they can go out and get drunk. Or go to the sports clubs and you observe how much alcohol is consumed. And while one night stands might not be an everyday occurrence amongst our friends in middle class foolwood, how many of our friends are addicted to porn? Or think about the hugely popular Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Over one million copies sold. And why was a book which is being dubbed Mummy Porn so popular? One writer opined, I believe it has a lot to do with the desire that so many of us have of being swept away from our mundane lives into a world of passion and ecstasy. And then when so many people don't achieve that, then they may live out their desires through comfort eating to provide a level of satisfaction and joy in life. You see, the motto of our age may be let us eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. We die. For some people, it shapes their actions. For others, it's just our inner desires. And yet our world is consumed with living for the few years that we have on this earth and making the most of it. And it is so short-sighted. You could say all of it, it could be summed up in the last three words, the last words of verse three, which describe our detestable idolatry. You see, our world has rejected God It's rejected this loving maker who made us and it's turned into themselves to seek pleasure for themselves and fulfillment and security for themselves. And when you live like that, people can't understand. When you don't live like that, sorry, people can't understand it. People are amazed at you when you don't live like everyone else. Or maybe they start to pressurize you to jump in with them. And when you don't, and often you will not because you want to stand firm for Christ, then they will ridicule you. That's what verse 4 says. They think it's strange when you do not uh, plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation uh, or the same flood of overindulgence, and they heap abuse on you. And so when you cease from sin, from your sinful desires, then you suffer in the flesh. You suffer in this age Now, You see, that's what verse 1 was saying. When you abstain from your sinful desires, you can feel the pressure to conform, and you can suffer for that. So when you say no to a relationship with an unbeliever, people cannot understand why you wouldn't enjoy it. They say you're silly. They say you're stupid. You say you should just join in. Or when you don't get drunk on a night out, people just can't understand why. Or when you won't watch what your friends are watching, they can't understand it and they encourage you to join in and say, well, you just stop having such a holier-than-thou attitude towards us. And there may be many, many other ways in which you will not join in in which you suffer for it. And yet Peter calls us to abstain from the sinful desires which war against our souls and to do that for the rest of our time on this earth. So can I say, if you're in your 70s and 80s here tonight, Don't give up living like this. The end's not yet here. So keep living as God says. Do you know, I reckon my grandpa was a great example of this. He was a man who I looked up to very much. He heard the gospel. He responded to the gospel. He then lived his life for that gospel. He lived a godly life, And yet now he is dead. And I wonder whether you can imagine people saying of my grandpa... What a wasted life that was. Did all that abstaining from sin, all that living for God, and yet he's ended up like the rest of everyone else before him. He's dead. Well, Peter shows us why it wasn't a wasted life and why it wasn't pointless preaching the gospel to him in verses 5 and 6. You see, the reason was future judgment is a reality for those who are now living and dead. You see, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who have now died, like my grandpa. And even if people now say that he has wasted his life and they judge him in that way, the judgment of God will be that he will be made alive by God. So keep living this life, brothers and sisters. This is the true grace of God. Keep focusing on the future. Keep saying no to sin and keep living for that time to come. Well, if that's the the negative, what we see in the next section is the positive. Point three there uh, on the handout. You see, we live our earthly life now focusing on heaven. We abstain from sinful desires. And instead, we live good lives of prayer and love. Look at verse two again at the top of the passage. See what it says? As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You see, we live now for the will of God. The will of God is what we see in verses 7 to 11. In verse 7, starts by saying, get your thinking straight. Keep your minds clear. You see what it says? The end of all things is near, so be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. See, that's the first thing that we need to do. We need to keep our minds clear so that we can pray. Now, having a clear mind is opposed to having a mind which is dulled by drink. And surprisingly, I find, we are to keep a clear-minded focus so that we can pray. Did you see that? It wasn't what I expected there when I first read through. And yet when you think about it, it's so important, isn't it? Keep a clear-minded focus so that you can pray as we are surrounded by an unbelieving world which says this life is all there is so make the most of it, we need to keep clear-minded and pray that we would be focusing on God and his future. We need to pray that we would not be living according to our own human desires. We need to pray that, as we will see, we can keep living according to God's will, loving as he would want us to. We pray because the life God calls us to requires effort and work. It's not always easy. You see, Anya, Laura, and Nancy, as you seek to live God's way, it isn't going to be easy. So keep a clear-minded focus so that you can pray. And the life that we are called to is to love one another. Now, I know my own heart, and I know that I'm in constant need of God's help to keep turning my heart towards other people, to love them. The worldly mindset is put yourself first. But God says love others above all. You see in verse 8, above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply. And notice the context in which we are to love other people. We love because love conquers a multitude of sins the verse there is loosely quoting Proverbs 10:12, which says this. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. I wonder when you're wronged, how do you feel? I feel like I want to get my own back. And to respond in a way which doesn't quell the hatred and discord, but which inflames and fans the cycle even more. Here the call is to love each other deeply and extinguish that flame of discord quickly and fast. Love each other to break that spiral of enmity and hatred which can so easily form in our hearts. I think of my friend Dave in this regard. He was a good friend from Australia. And I remember once he did something, we had a bit of an argument. It wasn't over very much. But I remember him, he walked for an hour to come and find me to say sorry that was all he came to say he said I'm sorry and any kind of hatred I might have felt any kind of bitterness I may have felt towards him was quelled immediately he then had to walk an hour back and it was in the middle of exam time when it was busy and hard for him to do that and yet he loved deeply and he's so important to love because without love you will never be able to do what verses 9 and 10 call us to do You see what it says there, verse 9? Offer hospitality to each other. If you're not loving each other deeply, how are you going to allow yourself to be put out for the sake of others? How are you going to invite people into your own homes if you're not loving them deeply? I've often heard students uh, talking about how precious it is to be offered hospitality from people here. They've been surrounded by non-Christians all week, living with them in the same flat, being surrounded by them in their courses. They felt ridicule and pressure on their faith. And they say, when I get to a Christian home, it feels such a relief, such a joy to be able to just relax and feel at home. You see, offering hospitality can help people when they suffer in this world. And it may be more than just offering a meal for Sunday on a Sunday. Maybe you have to offer people a home for a month, a year. I wonder how you might show that sacrificial hospitality willingly and not grumbling. Well, we love each other through showing hospitality. And then also in verse 10, you see what it says there? Each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve other people. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now these verses are quite staggering really, are they not? We all have gifts and abilities, says Peter, that we can use to serve other people. That we serve them for their benefit. That we love people through serving them with what we have. And did you see how Paul describes it? It is through faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. As we serve each other, we are administering God's grace to each other. Look at those sitting around you. You see all those people around you here tonight? Go on, look at them. All these people around you, they are God's means of grace to you. And you are God's means of grace to them as you serve them and as you love them. Do you not find that staggering? It changes how we view people at church, doesn't it? How we view what coming to church is all about as we see that we are God's means of grace to each other. We come to serve each other and love each other. And you see how we might do that, verse 11? We might administer God's grace as we speak to each other. See, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. God. And that's speaking in the the very broadest sense of the word speaking. It certainly includes like preaching and Bible study leading. But also in the way we provide advice to each other. The way we speak to each other and help each other. And the comfort we might give to each other. When we meet up one to one we speak. And we encourage each other. And do you see how we are to do it? As if we are speaking the very words of God to each other. You see, we're meant to speak the balm of Christian Bible words to each other. It's why we need to be steeped in the Bible, so that the words which come out our mouths are Bible words, words which can provide comfort and help and encouragement. I guess that's one reason why we should crave pure spiritual milk, as Peter said earlier in the book. So that we can speak to each other. And speaking is not the only way in which we administer this grace to each other. We do it as we serve each other in the strength God provides. You see verse 11 again? If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So when we come to church, we should be asking in our mind, I wonder how I might be able to help someone tonight. Who can I serve, I wonder, when I get there? And that concern and that willingness to serve may then spill over into our weeks as we love people practically throughout the week, caring for them, looking after them. You see why we need to pray? See why we need to pray as we love? But it's not easy to keep loving when we feel wronged. It's not easy to open up our homes and welcome others in. It's not easy to administer God's grace to each other, but it's wonderful. So keep a clear-minded focus and pray for that. You see, the life that God calls us isn't a life of ease on the sofa, but it's a life of hard-working love for each other. And what a contrast to the world around us which is focused on its own selfish pleasure and its own self-fulfillment. Where we are called to love other people deeply so we can help them and encourage them and spur them on. And as we come to an end, just see how full of meaning and wonderful this life that God calls us to is. You see what the result is there in verse 11? So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. See, as we live this life out, God is praised through Jesus Christ. And as Peter goes on, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever, Amen. You see, God has redeemed us from a worthless, fruitless, empty way of life and gives us significance and meaning. And as we live this life together, God is praised through what he sees here, through Christ. You see, as we live our earthly life now focusing on heaven, as we abstain from our sinful desires and instead live those good lives of love and prayer, God is praised It fulfills what we read all the way back in chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12. Do you remember what it said there? Dear friends, I urge you as alien and strangers to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And as we pray and live good lives of love, we will be, 2.12, living such good lives among the pagans. With the result, 2.12, that they may see our good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. It's a wonderful life that we've been called to as Christian people. It's the life which Christ lived before us. He was the one who suffered in the body first and made alive in the spirit. And so we follow after. And as I finish, it reminds me of what the writer to the Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 12. Let me read those words as I close. Well, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have redeemed us from an empty way of life which was handed down to us and you call us now to a life of wonderful meaning and significance where we can love other people And where in loving other people, people may see see our good deeds and want to glorify you as well. That they too may be redeemed from that empty way of life and included into your family. Father, would you please help us to live that life? Would you help us to be clear-minded and focused so that we can pray? And Father, may you help us to love each other deeply. Would you help us to offer hospitality to each other and would we be faithful in administering your grace in the many forms which you have given us. And Father, may all of that be to your praise and your glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.